This podcast is administered of Rosemont Baptist Church in Rosemont, Georgia. For information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Let me pray for us. Father, we are just thankful again for the opportunity to study and to worship. We're thankful for your word, Lord. We're thankful for the clarity of your word and the power of your word actively working in our lives. And so I pray this morning, Father, that as we study, that you would keep us free from distraction. Father, keep our minds focused on you to see your truth and to see your clarity, Father. And I pray we would take what we've learned apply it to our lives, and we'll be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in every step of our lives, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to week three of our Generation 1-8 sermon series. We're calling it Generation 1-8 based on Acts 1-8, but we're using the word generation because I believe... For the first time in the history of the world, literally, we have the opportunity as believers to reach the world for Christ. We have the technology, we have the money, we have the resources, we have everything we need to reach the world for Him. And so we started a series two weeks ago on mission work. We started in Acts 1-8, the call of the Holy Spirit, the call of God to go into all the world, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the utter ends of the earth. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 2 and the story of Pentecost. And we looked at how the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers in fire and wind and tongues. And we talked about how that demonstrated the ability of the Holy Spirit working through the believers to go into all the world to reach every single language. Now if we had to summarize up to this point this sermon series, we could say this. The Holy Spirit has driven and fueled the fire for worldwide missions in the book of Acts. That's what's happened. We've seen the Holy Spirit in the first chapter. We've seen the Holy Spirit in the second chapter. We've seen the power of the Holy Spirit manifest itself in the lives of the people in the first century. And we've seen them go into all the earth. Now, I'm very excited about this series. I'm excited about this summer because of all that God's already doing. Now, I've told you already a lot of stories. I'm going to continue to tell you a lot of stories about all that God is doing and the the work that he's accomplishing in the hearts of our people. But I'm so excited because I see the movement of the Spirit through the hearts of our people, a lot of them to step out into faith and say, you know what? For the first time in my life, I feel called to go. I've never experienced this before. I don't know what's really going on in my heart, but I just feel, for whatever reason, the call to go. That's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And so the idea of all that God is doing and all that God is going to continue to do, we're going to look again today at the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Acts. Now, as you're thumbing for the book of Acts, our focal passage this morning will be the 13th chapter. But before we look at the 13th chapter, we're going to begin in chapter 6. So if you want to mark chapter 13, move back to chapter 6. I told you when I started this series that I was going to preach through the high points of the book of Acts. I don't have the time this summer to preach through every verse. I don't have the time to preach through every chapter. What I want to do instead is hit some of the high points. We covered Acts chapter 1. We covered Acts chapter 2. Now we're going to jump to Acts chapter 13. But I need to recap. (laughs) 
Because a lot happens between chapter 2 and chapter 13. So if you've got your Bibles and you're looking at Acts chapter 6, let me tell you the story of a man named Stephen. Now some of you are going to be familiar with Stephen. Stephen was one of the original uh, deacons chosen in Acts chapter 6. And we pick up the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 6 verse 8. I think we've got that on the screen. Acts chapter 6 verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So here's Stephen. He's chosen as a leader in the church. He's chosen as one of the deacons. He begins to do incredible things in the church. He begins to show God's power. He begins to show God's grace. He begins to show great signs and wonders among the people. Now here's what happens. When the Holy Spirit invades his heart and his life and he begins to do these incredible things, the religious leaders of the day don't like it. And they don't like it so much, they actually drag Stephen in and they bring him before the religious leaders. And Stephen has this opportunity to preach. It's this incredible opportunity. And so if you have the chance this week, I would encourage you to go back and read Acts chapter 7. It's Stephen's sermon to these religious leaders. Now Stephen does such a great job with these leaders. He does such a great job of preaching the name of Jesus Christ to these people that when he's finished, they're so angered they decide to stone him. So they literally take Stephen, this man full of the Holy Spirit, doing all these wonders and signs. They drag him outside of the city and they stone him. Now flip forward in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, the end of Acts chapter 7. Stephen has just given this impassioned plea. He's preached the word of Christ to these people. We're at the end of Acts chapter 7, verse 59. Here's what the Bible says. While they were stoning him, this is Stephen, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now verse 60. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Now from an earthly perspective, this is a terrible thing, right? Here's one of the leaders of the early church. Here's a man who had been doing incredible things, who had been sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The religious leaders get him and stone him and kill him. It's a tragedy, right? But let's keep in mind that sometimes... God's ways are not our ways, right? And sometimes God can take things that we see as a tragedy and he can use them for his honor and for his glory. So now look at the very next verse, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, if you've got your Bibles. It talks about Saul looked on approvingly and then look what it says. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, and Samaria. So this great persecution breaks out. These disciples, these people that are followers of Jesus Christ are scared for their lives. And so what do they do? They run. Now we look at this story. Stephen has been killed. He's been stoned. There's a persecution that's broken out. All the believers that were in Jerusalem, the church that was going so well and growing and reaching people for Christ and doing great signs and wonders, all these things that were taking place, now all of a sudden all these people are scattered what are we going to do, right? How in the world is the church going to continue? Surely that must have just folded up shop and given up. We'll flip over just a couple more chapters to Acts chapter 11. Again, we're moving through. I'm recapping. Stay with me. <laughs> Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So all the people that were believers have dispersed. It's called the dispersion. You may have heard of it. The believers have left Jerusalem, gone to all other areas, and we pick up in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now they, which were scattered abroad, these are the people, 
These are the believers. Upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Well, that's important. Keep that word in your mind, Antioch. Preaching the word to none, but only unto the Jews. You see that? So the dispersion, Stephen is stoned, the dispersion takes place, all these believers flee Jerusalem, run to all parts of the earth, Cyprus and Antioch, but even at this point, all they're doing is preaching to the Jews. Now Antioch's an important city, it's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and if you read later in the book of Acts, it's at Antioch that the believers for the very first time are called Christians. Now you say, that's a very interesting story. Adam, why do you want to talk about Antioch? Our focus this morning is in Acts chapter 13 on the church in Antioch. And here's what I want you to see very clearly. This is important. For the first time, now listen to this. For the first time in really the history of the world, a local church caught the vision of reaching the world for Christ in Acts chapter 13. This is what happens. For the first time... In the history of the world, a local church, that's Antioch, is going to catch the vision to move beyond just the Jews and to go to the ends of the earth. Now here's why this is important for us right now at Rosemont. For the first time in our history, we have kind of caught a vision. An intentional vision, an intentional strategy to reach the world for Christ. So God is calling us very clearly at Rosemont Baptist Church to model this Acts 1-8 model, this Generation 1-8, go into all the world to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, to the other parts of the earth. So just as for Antioch, this was the first time they had caught the vision of reaching the world for Christ, so it is with Rosemont in our current culture today. For the first time we've caught this vision of reaching the world for Christ. And so we're going to delve in this morning to Acts chapter 13. And we're going to see what we can learn about this church at Antioch. Because everything they were going through and their desire to go to the ends of the earth is the same thing currently that we're going through in our desire to go to the ends of the earth as well. So our focal passage this morning is Acts chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. So we'll begin in verse 1. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there it is, right? In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now this is Paul. Don't get this confused. Saul is Paul here. Now verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them Now, this is a very clear picture in Acts chapter 13, verses 1, 2, 3, of the model in the church at Antioch for the Holy Spirit working to call people to go into the world to reach the world for Christ. And so there's some things from this church that I want to point out and really, really delve into this morning. And the first thing I want you to understand about this church, this first century church at Antioch, this was a church that was, number one, focusing on God. They had a crystal clear focus on God. Now the Bible says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now some translations use the word ministering to the Lord. If you have the King James or the NASB, they use the word minister. 
That word in the NIV is translated worship. It's this sense of praising God, of doing all the things that God has called you to do, of worshiping the Lord in a corporate body together. So here's what we see in Antioch. We see a church that is actively seeking God's will, a church that desires to do everything that he's called them to do, and a church, this is very important, where the culture and the environment is right for the Holy Spirit to work. You understand that? This church in Antioch, through their worship and through their fasting, had a willing heart. Now here's how one scholar described them. He said they had, ex- excuse me, he said they had an expectant devotion. Right? They were expecting God to do something. They focused on God, they dedicated themselves to Christ, and because of that dedication, they believed something was going to happen. Now here's the problem we run into in, in our world sometimes in, in America. We make this mistake. We think that the only time God can work is when we get everything just perfect for Him to work. And so we think, you know, we've got to have a really nice building before the Holy Spirit can work. And in that nice building, we've got to have really nice lights. And we've got to have great sound and comfortable seats. And we've got to have the air working, especially this week, right? We've got to have the air working. And we think if those things aren't right, well, we may as well forget about it because God can't work when the air's not working, right? God can't work if we don't have a nice new building. Or God can't work if the sound's not right or, or the lights aren't exactly right. I had the privilege this week of meeting with a missionary from China. Beverly and, and Marvin Gardner invited me to their house Friday night to meet with this man who's a missionary in China. He actually lives in America, but he's going back and forth. Very interesting story. This man is a businessman. He'd gone to China on some business and done a lot of work in there, and he was actually speaking to a group in China And when he finished speaking to the group, it's a secular talk. One of the men came up to him and started talking to this guy. Turns out this Chinese man was an underground house church pastor. Now he starts telling this man from America the story of his church. And he invites him to come back. And long story short, this partnership is created. And over time, this man from America has gone now to China multiple times. And he's teaching in these home churches. Now there are some sanctioned churches in China, church Uh, government-sanctioned Christian churches. But the explosion of Christianity, the growth of Christianity, is happening with these home churches, these illegal churches. So these people that are operating these house churches don't have the permission of the government to operate. And so I said, well, tell me what it's like to go to one of these home churches and and teach. And the guy said, okay, well, so we we go to these cities, and it's kind of secretive how we get there and where we're going, right? We we go to this two-bedroom apartment, and there are 25 people there. And we're going to do some training for about four days. And I'm thinking, wow, four days, 25 people, that's kind of cramped. But, you know, they'll go out for lunch and, you know, have some fellowship like we would do, right? And they come back and work for the afternoon, maybe go to dinner together and then go to their homes, get a good night's rest, come back in the morning and start over. No, 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 no. You see, in China, because it's illegal for them to meet, once they walk into that room and close that door, they can't leave for four days. Because if the people around that house and around that apartment building get wind that there are 25 people in that one room, something's going on. They call the authorities, the police show up, everybody gets arrested. So he says, here's what it looks like. You walk into this house church, you close that door, four days later you come out. He said, I had to take my phone and take the battery out of my phone, the SIM card out of my phone, lay it on the table to prove to those people that I didn't have my phone on so nobody could trace me. He said, there are 25 people in this two-bedroom apartment. He said, there's no air conditioning, but we can't open the windows because people may hear what's going on. There's no shower. There's one toilet. 
He said, we started at 5.30 in the morning. We worked until 9.30 that night. Everybody slept on the floor. 25 people in two rooms. We got up the next morning and we did it again. And in the West, we think, how could that be possible? Could you imagine how miserable that would be? Man, I couldn't sleep. Food was terrible. Stifling hot. No shower. Cramp facilities. How in the world could anybody actually go through something like that? Here's what's happening in China. Christianity is exploding in contexts just like that. Why? Because they're focused on God. You understand that? They don't need a nice big building. Buildings are nice, and praise the Lord, we have one. Lights are nice. Air conditioning is nice. Praise the Lord, we have those things. But we see all over the world, throughout history, that it's not the stuff that allows the Holy Spirit to work. It's the heart of the people that allow the Holy Spirit to work. It's their focus on God. So this church in Antioch creates this environment. They create this culture and this context where the Holy Spirit is welcome. How do they do it? Well, they do it in two different ways. It's right there in the scripture. They do it through worship and they do it through fasting. Now, worship is kind of the corporate way that they do it. We understand worship, don't we? We come together and we worship like this and we sing and we preach the word and we pray and we tithe and we read scripture. But in the context of Acts chapter 13, when we do those things... When we come together and worship and preach and pray together, in the context of Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit begins to speak, right? The Holy Spirit begins to manifest himself in our hearts and he begins to guide us and he begins to direct us and he begins to show us exactly what he would have us to do. But here's our problem. We come to church on Sunday mornings with focus on everything other than God, don't we? Now, I'll stand at the front of the line. I'm I'm, kind of right here with you. Man, when we drive to church on Sunday morning, oftentimes we're not thinking about the things of God, are we? We're thinking about what happened at work on Friday afternoon or what we got to get back to on, on Monday morning. Or we're thinking about an argument we had maybe with our spouse or with our children or something wrong going on at home. Or we're thinking about a financial situation or we're thinking about a difficulty in our life. Or we're thinking about all sorts of things. And those things are important and they're part of our lives. But when we come to worship, we need to focus on Christ. We need to kind of get our mind right, right, and focus on his glory and his majesty and his power and his calling in our lives and his plan for this church. See, the people at Antioch understood that. And they understood in the context of worshiping corporately that the Holy Spirit would speak. But see, it goes another level for us as we study this passage of Scripture. This is the corporate worship. We're kind of used to that. But if you delve into this passage of Scripture, not only were they worshiping, but they were fasting, (laughs) Now it hits close to home, doesn't it? Because it's easy to show up on Sunday morning and worship. We're doing that right now. But if you've ever fasted, intentionally not eating something so you can spend time in prayer and focus on Christ, it's very difficult. You say, well, is that really taught in Scripture? I mean, is fasting really something that we should be doing? Let me read to you Matthew 6, 16. Here's what Christ says. When you fast, I love it, not if... Not if you're considering it, not maybe one day, hopefully, but when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I'll tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. You see, the people of Antioch cultivated this sense of focusing on God with a corporate worship, but then in the privacy of their own lives with fasting. 
with giving themselves over to Christ, with saying to God, I'm willing to do anything and everything I can to know you more, to understand you better so you can work in my heart and my life. You can guide me. So it's in the context of worship. It's in the context of personal devotion and fasting. It's in the context that, a, that this church in Antioch has a sole focus on God that we see what happens next. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, there's that focus on God. There's that foundational culture of doing everything God has called us to do. While they were worshiping and fasting, look what happens. The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So when a church sets up a culture that they're going to focus on God both corporately and personally, the second thing we see happens is that the Holy Spirit calls people to go. People were called to go by the Holy Spirit. In what context? In the context of worshiping and fasting and focusing on God. That's interesting, the phrase that the Holy Spirit uses here in this passage of Scripture. He says that you need to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. That's the same phrase Paul uses in Romans 1.1. Here's what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now here's the bottom line in this passage of Scripture. If a church will seek God and focus on Him, the Holy Spirit will call people to go into all the world to reach them for Christ. If a church will seek Christ... If a church will focus on Him, if a church will worship and fast and have personal devotion to Him, then the Holy Spirit within the context of that church will call people to go. Now, some of you have already experienced that. I've had several conversations with people that kind of look something like this. They say this, Adam, I've never really considered mission work before. I've never really thought about mission work before. In fact, you know, I've got friends or relatives that have done it, but it's never been something that's been important to me. But I, I just can't explain it. But over the last several weeks as we've been studying mission work, I just feel compelled to go. That's what they tell me. I can't really explain it, they say. I don't really know what's happening, but I, I have to go. I'm going to go to Guatemala, or maybe I'm going to go to Romania, or maybe one day I'm going to go to Africa, but I, I have to go. And you say, wow, that's, that's powerful. But how do you know when the Holy Spirit's calling? <laughs> he doesn't send you a text, although that'd be really cool, right? That'd be kind of nice. It'd be a lot easier that way. How do we know the Holy Spirit is leading us? Well, there's several things in Scripture that the Bible tells us. There are several examples in Scripture that talk about the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I want to give you a few very quickly as we move forward this morning. But if you want to talk about the, think about the guidance of the Holy Spirit, one thing you need to understand is that the Holy Spirit convicts us. John 16, 8 says this, When He comes, that's the Holy Spirit. He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. There's a conviction in our lives to not do wrong, but there's also sometimes a conviction to do right. You feel convicted by the Holy Spirit to move in some area, to go to some place, to, to, to minister in some part of the world. There's a conviction. The Holy Spirit teaches us. John 14, 26 says, When the Counselor comes, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you. All things and will remind you of everything that I've said the Holy Spirit will teach us. Maybe the clearest one and the one that kind of makes the most sense to me is Romans 8.16. Romans 8.16 says this, The Spirit Himself 
testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's this sense here that when the Holy Spirit guides us, he just kind of testifies with our spirit, right? He kind of leads us and guides us and directs us in ways that we don't often ourselves understand or even ways we can explain. I remember when I felt the call to ministry, I talked to a lot of people. I talked to several pastors and friends, and I kind of poured out my heart, and I started asking a lot of questions. And I got this question from several people. How do you know? That's a great question. And if I'm going to quit my job and give my life over to Christ's full-time ministry, I ought to know how I know, right? But I found myself trying to explain to these people how I knew. I, I couldn't put it into words. It's not as if I had a checklist and I checked off one, two, three, four, five, six, and at the end it was like, oh yeah, there it is, God's calling to ministry. But through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? Through the truth of the Word of God, through His Spirit testifying with my spirit, I just knew. It's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit as He works in our heart. We can't always explain it, can we? We don't know why He's called us or exactly how that works out, but we just know that there's like a, a force in our heart that we can't explain And we can't sleep for thinking about God's calling me to do this and I have to go. And you say, great, what what sort of things can we do, right? How can we actually flesh this out? Well, there are two main areas. Number one is short-term mission work. We're going to begin to do that a lot more at Rosemont. We've already done short-term mission work in in Romania for a number of years. We've done short-term mission work in Alaska. There's a team going to Romania soon. There's a team in Alaska, another group about to go. We've done short-term mission work in other parts of the country. We're going to do short-term mission work in Guatemala. But here's what I'm waiting for. Here's what I'm excited about. I believe if our church will cultivate this environment of focus on Christ, if we'll worship Him, if we'll fast, if we'll have personal devotion to all He's called us to do, I think God's going to call people to go through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of them short-term mission work, but here's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for God to begin to call some of us to full-time mission work. I'm waiting for the day when the person at Rosemont Baptist Church stands up and said, the Holy Spirit has called me to go. and I'm selling everything I own and I'm moving to China. Or God's called me to go and I'm giving up my job and everything in my career and we're selling everything we own and we're moving to Guatemala, we're moving to South America, or we're moving to Korea. And you say, I can't even fathom what that may look like. Well, maybe you can't. But I believe if we focus on Christ, if we continue to be obedient to His Word, not only is He going to call people to do short-term mission work, He's going to call people into full-time mission work. So here's what we see. As the church seeks God and focuses on Him, the Holy Spirit begins to call some people to go. Now you're thinking, well, I'm not called to go. I'm off the hook, right? No. Look at verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they, this is the church at Antioch, placed their hands on them, that's Paul and Barnabas, and sent Got that? Sent them off. Let me read it again. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. God calls some people to go. Number three, God calls others to send. These people were sent by the church. You understand that? So here's your options, biblically. You can either go or you can send. You understand that? Now here's what John Piper says. He says there are three possibilities. 
You can be a goer, you can be a sender, or you can be disobedient. There's no real wiggle room, is there? You say, well, I don't know if I'm called to go. Great, then you can send. You say, I don't know if I'm called to send. Great, you can go. But according to this passage of Scripture, there's a group of people that goes, and everybody else in the church is going to send. You say, what does that look like? How do they actually send? Well, let me give you a very clear example. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. This is Paul speaking about the churches in Macedonia. Here's what he said. They, these are the churches in Macedonia, gave themselves first to the Lord, that's tithes and offerings, and then by the will of God to us. So he says these churches in Macedonia, literally, they gave their money to the church first, and then by the will of God they gave it to us. Why? So we could continue our missionary work. Because we were sent by the church. The Holy Spirit called us to go. The Holy Spirit called them to send. You say, great, okay, I'm not sure I'm called to go, so that means I need to be a sender. All right, what does that practically mean? What can I practically do to send? Here's number one, you need to be praying. You should be doing that anyway, but if you're not doing it, you need to start. You need to be praying that God would do incredible things in our church that God would do incredible things through the hearts and the minds of our people, and that God would allow you in whatever way to be a part of this culture of sending into the world. You need to be praying. Number two, you can encourage these people. These people that are called to go. And by the way, we had over 90 people last week express interest in Guatemala. That number is going to grow, and I'm telling you, those are just the beginning for us of reaching the world for Christ. You need to be encouraging these people. They're going to pay a lot of money to go. They're going to give up a lot of time with their family. They're going to leave a wife behind or a husband behind or children behind. They're going to walk away from a job for a week or two or sometimes even more. You need to encourage these people. While they're gone, you can help take care of their family. There are going to be children here. There's going to be a spouse here. There's going to be all kinds of responsibilities here. Maybe you can plug in in some area of their life and help those people get over that hump while they're gone. You can give financially. There's all sorts of needs as we talk about buying supplies and and medical stuff and and the things these children are going to need. They're going to be people that are going to need support to go. They can't pay for it themselves. Now, some of you are thinking, I can can read your mind because I've heard it before. (laughs) I'm not willing to give money for somebody to go on vacation. That, my friend, is a culture we need to get rid of because we're not going on vacation. If you think it's a vacation, go with me back to the village at Guatemala and see how these people live. Walk where they walk. See a house with a tin roof and just little pieces of wood and, and a tarp for a wall. See a house with a dirt floor and mud as thick as you can imagine during the rainy season. See children with no shoes and one meal a day. It's no vacation. Here's what it is. It's the calling of the Holy Spirit upon the lives of people to go. And it's the obligation of the church to step up to the responsibility and send. Now, there are a lot of ways you can do that. There are a lot of things you can pray about. We're going to make August the 12th available to you to give. That's our one-time giving Sunday. You can give money to help do all these sorts of things. We'll talk a lot more about that as we go. But here are your choices. As we cultivate within our church this foundation of seeking God in all things, you can either go or you can send. That's it. You see, I think it's time in America for us to kind of step up I think it's time for us in America to kind of set aside the things of the world and to focus on the things of God. Because, see, we've got kind of this little vision of what God's going to do. I'm going to tell you something I believe already. What God's doing here at Rosemont is way bigger than you're ever going to imagine. We're going to look back in a lot of years and go, wow, (laughs) I had no idea that's what he was going to do. 
And I want to be a part of that. I don't want to look back one of these years and think, you know, I was so caught up in all this other stuff that I missed the clear calling of the Holy Spirit upon my life. I think God's called us to reach the nations. And I think he's given us the ability to be the generation that literally takes the world into every known corner of the earth. Here's the question. You're going to be obedient to his calling. You're going to go or are you going to send? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's clear. It's easily understood, Father. The problem isn't that we don't understand it. The problem, Lord, is that we don't obey it. So forgive us. Forgive us for not obeying clearly the teachings of Scripture, Lord. This passage gives us two options, to go or sin, whatever that looks like. And, Lord, I understand we have to kind of flesh that out and work that out in our hearts between you and and ourselves, Father, as we pray and study and learn and seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Father. I pray you give us the strength and the courage and the ability to be the men and women of God you've called us to be, to be the church you called us to be, to be the generation, Lord, that literally reaches the world for you. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of that. We love you and want to serve you, Father. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next couple of minutes to pray. Maybe you want to pray where you are. Maybe you need to pray about your involvement in missions. Maybe you need to pray about the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe you want to join our church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless you.